I think this game will just be really telling. And of course, it'll be massive. The implications for the division should be really big this week. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast. I'm your host, Easton Fries, director of published content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you, of course, by the 440 Podcast Network. Welcome in. It is Monday, October the 17th now, uh, and we've got a week before an actual Titans game. The bye week is behind us, and we have some more to talk about. And I'm joined by a guest who we've had on the show once before this season, Sam Phelan from A to Z Sports their reporter covering the Titans. He is back and gracious enough to spend another show with me talking Titans. Sam, welcome back. How are you, my man? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, happy to be back. Happy to talk Titans. Hop on anytime you need. So, uh, yeah, enjoying the bye week, although I will say a little bit uneventful for an NFL weekend this week. I feel like we've kind of gotten accustomed to the the every weekend sort of rhythm of things and uh, everything sort of died down. It was nice, though, I will say, to just be able to have a Sunday to to watch the slate of games and kind of oh, have, yeah. have that to myself. So that was, that was relaxing for sure. Yeah. Agreed entirely, but I am excited uh, to get back to talking Titans and having some Titans things going on during the week to talk about, of course, which we'll be back to the regular grind here this week. And that's what a lot of today's conversation is going to revolve around kind of what we expect from this team coming out of the buy. Um, and I'm excited to, we've got a number of topics today that I, I want to get your take on, but first, if people didn't know, if you're listening to this show uh, via podcast, you can now watch the show on YouTube. So subscribe to the Broadway Sports Media page on YouTube. Check out more of our video content. This show, as well as the Mike Herndon Show and Football and Other F-Words. Uh, we've got more and more stuff going up on there every day. So go and subscribe and check that out over there. Sam, you wrote a really interesting article this past week talking about, and, and you were the first to detail what was the topic of the week last week in Titan circles with the buy being upon us and not a whole lot going on in Titan specific circles, the attention kind of turned outwards. And with a team in the Panthers that is in maybe fire sale mode at this point, it would make sense for them to be at the very least. Uh, a lot of NFL teams, I think around the country were looking at that roster up and down, seeing who might be interesting to add to their uh, local team. And with the Titans, of course, it was the wide receivers. Um, there's two Panthers wide receivers that I want to talk about today. But the first is is DJ Moore, who you wrote an article on last week, just detailing what the financial situation would be for the Titans should they pursue a trade for DJ Moore. Of course, a young guy, 25 years old, uh, on his second contract with the Panthers. We don't know whether or not they're even interested in, in dealing him. But if they were, the Titans would be a team that would it would it would make sense for them to be pursuing him. We've talked about it a good bit the past couple of, a couple of episodes on this show. But I wanted to get your take since you really took a deep dive on this last week. What are your thoughts on DJ Moore and a potential Titans trade? Yeah, I mean, trade situations are interesting, I think. Uh, and any fan can go on like spot track and just like look at stuff. But uh, it can be confusing sometimes, especially in oh, the yeah. NFL with, you know, salary cap situations and just salary breakdowns on what teams are responsible for. Uh, and that is the elephant in the room when you talk Titans and you talk wide receiver, because the A.J. Brown situation obviously didn't end in a way that made fans happy. And they pushed A.J. Brown out. Uh, I don't want to say pushed him out, but he's not in Tennessee because of money and because of the contract situation and the four-year $100 million deal 
that he got from the Philadelphia Eagles, and he wasn't able to get that in Tennessee. So with DJ Moore, another you know wide receiver one caliber talent that has had success and is young, that's the question, right? Do the Titans have the money, or would they be willing to commit what it would take to get a player of that caliber. So what I broke down in the article on A to Z Sports, as you mentioned, Easton, is that contract situation. Because in the NFL, when a team trades for a player, they're responsible for picking up his remaining contract, prorated to the current year and then every other year of his base salary. What they're not responsible for is the bonus money. And in the NFL, a player... If you're paid a $20 million bonus or uh, DJ Moore for this example, it was paid $19.5 million in a signing bonus. It is four and whatever every year, 4 million, 4 million, 4 million, 4 million over the length of his contract. Right. But given that money up front, he is given that money. As soon as he signs the deal, it's just broken down every four years against the salary cap. But any money that is paid to a player, whether it be a workout bonus, a signing bonus, or any game checks from that year, does not go against the cap for the team that is acquiring him. So if you're the Titans, you look every year from now, you have $4 million plus off. It's 4.875 is the exact number, a million dollars off that contract from the bonus money that's already been paid to DJ Moore. So for the remainder of this year, They would owe him now even less than this because he just played another game for Carolina today, but less than $700,000, $20 million in 2023, and then right around $16 million in 2024 and 2025, years that he's under team control for. If you look at the contract situation and size it up to one, what A.J. Brown got from the Eagles, and two, what the Titans were offering A.J. Brown when he was you know, negotiating an extension potentially with the Titans. I think the money works out in their favor. Now the argument is, are you willing to give up a first round pick or what is Mm -hmm. the cost going to be in terms of draft capital? And that's a whole different situation, uh, which I'm sure we can get into, but just, you know, monetarily the numbers work because not only is DJ Moore coming to a team at a discount compared to what the market dictates he's worth, but he's also coming at a value that was not far off from what the Titans were offering A.J. Brown in the first place. So there are really two questions brought up here, I think, and it's should they and would they, which two very different answers I think you can possibly have for those questions. Let's tackle the first. Should they, in your eyes, Sam, be at least interested in making a trade for a guy, Ed, wide receiver, you know, not necessarily just D.J. Moore. Do you think that they need to add somebody from the outside to this wide receiver room? And do you think DJ Moore would be a a reasonable fit for them? Yeah, no, I do. A hundred percent. Just looking at the team, looking at the roster on paper and looking at the production on the field, they're missing something in their offense with a guy that has X play ability yards after catch ability. They did hit one deep shot to Nick Westbrook Akine in the win over Washington. But for the most part, only took five weeks, man. (laughs) The explosive (laughs) plays just haven't been there, and the yards after catch haven't been there, with the exception of Traylon Burks time to time. Mm -hmm. And now with him on the shelf, you're looking at an even more depleted wide receiver room. It makes all the sense in the world that they should make a call to somebody, a free agent, a trade candidate, 
whatever. And as you mentioned, as soon as Matt Rule got fired and kind of the consensus around the league was that Carolina would be having a fire sale, all eyes kind of turned that direction and said, well, there's a couple targets in Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, uh, and the wheels have to be spinning. And if I'm John Robinson, I have to pick up the phone and at least be interested, right? You're not doing your job if you're not doing due diligence when it comes to DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and the Carolina Panthers at this time. They're missing something. So go get outsource for it if you have to. You've got Robert Woods coming off the books at the end of this year if you want mm-hmm. to anyway. Don't worry about the cap. Worry about this team. You know you have talent. You're not sure how long that's going to last for but they have some big, big holes and they have to do something about them if they want to make something out of this year. Well, I want to talk about Robbie Anderson here in a moment, but with DJ Moore, what makes the potential trade so fascinating to me, of course, the question when you're asking yourself, well, should they make this move? Is, is this a team that is a player away? Do you think that it's fair for them to consider themselves a player away? And I think the, the obvious answer for this Titans team right now is no, of course they have holes in a number of different, places on both sides of the ball but with DJ Moore unlike a trade for a Julio Jones or a Jadavian Clowney guys that are you know nearing the ends of their career on the backside of their prime going to be big money guys that you bring in you know like a Von Miller for the Bills for this year where it's like we need somebody to come in here and just get us over the top just bring a little bit of extra juice with Moore it wouldn't be a one-year rental situation right it would be a solution for the long term, or at least that would be the idea on paper with a guy like him under contract. He would be here for this year and then stick around for the foreseeable future. And you would ideally be pairing him with Traylon Burks. And that would be the guys you build around going forward. What would a reasonable price tag in a trade in your eyes be for a DJ Moore? Should they be willing to give up a first round pick for a player like that? Well, I think he's going to cost the first round pick. I've seen mm-hmm. some people speculating, well, uh, I'll give them a second and a fifth or a second and a third. It's, Negative. That's not going to get it done, especially mm-hmm. when you look at the fact that the Titans gave up a first rounder uh, or got a first rounder rather for AJ Brown. And that was right. kind of the cost that it, it took for the Eagles. That was a guy that was demanding an even bigger contract than Moore is already committed to. And it's a guy with pretty similar production right around the same age. DJ Moore is 25 years old. He's had three consecutive seasons pushing 1,200 receiving yards and a Carolina Panthers offense that is solely reliant on Christian McCaffrey and getting him touches and has not had a consistent quarterback to throw him the football. And he still put up those like that level of production. He right. can kind of do it all. He's going to cost the first round pick. I believe that adamantly. And to answer your question, should they be willing to give up that maybe a hot take? I said no. Uh, okay. That's kind of been where, I, where I've been on, uh, on that issue. And it comes down to what you said. I, they're not a player away, and I don't think they're a player away moving forward. So Taylor Luan goes down. You're missing a left tackle. You don't know if he's going to be back next year or what his situation is going to be like. You still have Jeffrey Simmons that you need to pay. You still have Christian Fulton that you need to pay. You have expiring contracts and you have multiple positions on the field right now that are clear, clear holes. Yep. And just had they not drafted Traylon Burks, I would say absolutely go get yourself a wide receiver for Malik Willis to grow and develop with. But given the John Robinson, Mike Vrabel brand of football and the style of how they've operated in the past and given where they've used their draft capital and money in recent years, 
I don't see them giving up another first round pick to the wide receiver position. This is a team that is defense run the ball. We are going to throw it when we have to, but we're going to win the game up front and in the trenches. And by having long, you know, long drives that eat the clock and, and end in seven points, I don't see them doing back-to-back first-round picks committed to wide receivers, especially when left tackle might be a question, defensive back is a question. Going forward, that's where I am. I'd rather hold on to the pick. I'd rather, for this year, acquire somebody who might be more of a rental for them to just get some temporary help and maximize this year and then assess the wide receiver situation in the offseason. There's going to be free agents. There's going to be other trades available, but I wouldn't do anything rash that costs me a first round pick if I'm John Robinson right now. Well, as to the second question of will they, I agree. I would be surprised if they did end up making that move, just knowing the Titans, their culture, the way that their front office operates. It does not sound like their, their MO, but a guy, you know, transitioning the conversation a little bit to a guy that could be seen as more of a rental, Robbie Anderson has come up, of course, in discussions surrounding the Panthers and their potential selling of key players. Anderson is a talented guy, um, you know, a receiver that has had ups and downs. But today in the news, uh, Anderson dealing with a bit of a disagreement, to put it lightly, with his wide receiver coach on the sideline in their game today in L.A., Against the Rams, he ended up leaving the game, uh, was sent to the locker room and and, uh, by by his coaches, was sent away from the game and didn't finish the game. Um, Obviously, the situation, his relationship with that coaching staff, suspect at the very least. It was a little bit of a um, kind of an A.J. Brown situation light, or excuse me, A.J. Yeah, yeah, A.J. Brown situation. No, not A.J. Brown. Antonio Brown. God, (laughs) it was like kind of it's kind of an Antonio Brown light situation where he was he was sent away after a very heated conversation with his coaches on the sideline obviously not to that extent and he wasn't fired from the team or at least we don't believe he was fired from the team in that moment but you know could it be that he's staging a you know just making a scene because he's trying to get out is he really just a a a diva we don't know the answer to that question not a good look for him at the very least but it's made a lot of people kind of in a snap judgment online say, oh, look, there's a guy that obviously wants to get out. The Panthers probably want to get rid of him. Go and get that guy. Does he have any appeal to you whatsoever? Because to me, he's untouchable. Yeah, I mean, if you would have asked me a week ago, probably. But uh, I don't think what we've seen from Robbie Anderson in terms of uh, being a distraction on the field or off the field, rather, it fits with the Titans culture. I I think on the field, he fits what they need as a vertical threat that Uh, comes at less of a long-term commitment as DJ Moore, less of a price to go acquire him, certainly as well. Uh, But we know Mike Vrabel does not like guys that make things about themselves. He doesn't like distractions. He doesn't like guys that talk. Robbie Anderson certainly has a reputation for doing that. I remind you too, Easton, before the Panthers acquired Baker Mayfield, Robbie Anderson was all over Twitter. Yeah. He's all over Twitter talking about, oh, we don't want Baker. He's trash. <laughs> and now that's his quarterback. And you wonder how much that affects his relationship with his starting quarterback in the locker room. And uh, it doesn't feel like a culture fit to me. Mm-mm. To be fair, this is not the first guy that the Titans would have brought in having some off the field issues before that they've this kind of. Uh, you know, got down on the the straight and narrow and had him buy into their culture and, and yeah. 
had a really successful relationship with. But just from an outside perspective, and I don't know Robbie Anderson, I don't know him off the field, on the field, uh, any of those things or what his relationship is with those coaches in Carolina, it doesn't feel like a home run fit where DJ Moore does kind of uh, look a lot more appealing both on the field and off the field towards what the Titans kind of value and need. No, agreed entirely. And, and like you like you brought up, these antics aren't new with him. I, I don't see him as a culture fit at all. I don't see him as a, a talent worthy of overlooking those things. Like you mentioned, the Titans have done in the past. They've kind of overlooked some shortcomings off the field for guys that are just pure talents in that way. He is not that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm with you. DJ Moore is a good idea and a good receiver, but Pricey and Robbie Anderson – is an all right receiver and probably a bad idea. All right, let's quit talking about the Panthers because gross. Let's move on to uh, let's move on to something that came in, out in the news this weekend about the Titans. Really, the only new uh, breaking news we've had surrounding the Titans lately. It's an email that head coach Mike Vrabel sent to the rest of the league this, uh, I believe, past week in regards to their officiating. And I just wanted to to see if you had any thoughts on this. So it was reported. Um, I believe by Adam Schefter that Mike Vrabel hit reply all on an email from the league office detailing just going through different calls and explaining um, what did and didn't go right from the previous week in officiating. And he said, quote, I appreciate the time and energy that goes into these videos, but I suggest we devote every minute of our officiating department's time ensuring our official crews, officiating crews rather, are as well trained in the clarifications we worked to create in the offseason and that each crew is as consistent as possible. Thank you. It's believed that he meant to hit reply all just to make a statement to the league on behalf of the, the coaches. Of course, he's a part of the uh, rules committee now. I believe this is his first year in that role. What are your thoughts on on Mike Vrabel making, making this statement? Of course, the Titans don't have any games where a big controversial call comes to mind so far this year, at least. But he seems to be taking a stand on behalf of coaches. Well, yeah, well, I would say even looking back to last Sunday, you had the pass interference call on Jeffrey Simmons and uh, the Titans almost lost that game because of the pass interference call or did I say pass roughing the passer on Jeffrey roughing the passer and then the pass and then the pass interference call on Christian Fulton down at the end of the game in the end zone and Christian Fulton actually took to Twitter the day after the game and had said, well, they just told us that this actually shouldn't have been called. So maybe a little bit of uh, aggression, passive aggression there from Mike Vrabel. Uh, I thought it was a hilarious move, especially if he meant to hit reply all. <laughs> yes. uh, he's been somebody, he, he hasn't wanted to talk to us much about officiating in press conferences. No, it's been hasn't. an intentional move on his part not to get fined. Uh, and he kind of relayed that message earlier this week when he said, I'm just going to not talk about officiating and let the officials make the calls. But yeah, I sense some frustration boiling over from Mike Vrabel, from the Titans as a whole. And I'm not surprised that earlier this year, we asked him about the uh, move by NFL officials to uh, prioritize calling illegal contact downfield. Right, on defensive right. backs. And Mike Vrabel said, yeah, I hope that's not the case. I hope they emphasize calling all of the penalties correctly. And, and they and they hope <laughs> yeah. on creating a standard for these penalties. And it, it does become that much harder to play and that much harder to coach when you're not really sure what these standards are or how it's being called. So, uh, yeah, good on Mike Vrabel. He might get a fine for it. I don't know how that policy works. But sticking up for the coaches, sticking up for his players, I like it a lot. I think it was hilarious. And, uh, 
you know, maybe it gets him one or two calls this next week with Indianapolis coming to town. I completely agree. I think it was a funny move. Um, uh, this is kind of Mike Rabel's brand. He's very by the book in front of the cameras, but he is a master troll when he wants to be. And if that's what this was, uh, good on him. I think it's really funny as well. Let's talk about what happened in Indiana, in Indianapolis today. Of course, we're recording this on Sunday night. You're listening on Monday at some point. The Colts ended up getting the win against the division rival Jaguars, a big AFC South game. Of course, regardless of who won the game, the Titans were going to retain possession of first place in the division. They now are, uh, well, not quite tied with the Colts because they've played with one extra game. The Colts at three, two, and one, the Titans at three and two, they'll be meeting um, for a winner takes the divisional lead game this upcoming week here in Nissan stadium. It was, it was an interesting game. Obviously, without the Titans on, we got to watch most of it, and I, I watched most every snap in that game. It, it left me at the end with a question. What What do you think happened in this game? Is it Were, were you left with the impression that the Colts woke up in this game and, and finally have kind of figured things out with Matt Ryan and with, with their situation on both sides of the ball being kind of shaky at the very least? to uh to start the year they they may have found their footing a little bit in this game or do you think that maybe the jaguars just still aren't any good i think both are true uh, and i think we <laughs> i don't think okay. we learned that the jaguars aren't any good this week i think their loss to houston kind of told us that for everybody mm. that was uh pumping them up early on it was kind of a you know knock back to reality for the jaguars and their fans and all of their national supporters and you know they've made a lot of positive strides and there's nothing really to to be down about if you're a Jags fan this was always a a rebuilding or a building in the right direction year under a mm -hmm. first year head coach and Doug Peterson with them and uh just another year looking for improvement of Trevor Lawrence and they found that so far but they are still far away from being a contender for the AFC or probably a playoff contender but I do Easton think that the Colts woke up a lot in this game. And I think they're okay. really starting to figure it out. Matt Ryan threw the ball 58 times Unreal. without Naheem Hines, without Jonathan Taylor. He was sacked zero times. So an offensive line that has had trouble, that has had uh, struggles protecting Matt Ryan, that has let him get hit, which caused a lot of fumbles, which caused a lot of turnovers uh, and kind of hindered their offense so far. They had him pretty clean back there uh, on 58 passing attempts, which I think tells you a lot of, uh, you know, credit to their offense for kind of turning that corner. He was 42 of 58 for 389 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. had 16 targets in the game. He had 13 catches for 134 yards. And then, of course, the deep one to Alec Pierce, which mm -hmm. won them the game. I think they're starting to get a little bit of offensive chemistry going between Pittman, Pierce, and Matt Ryan. And as long as they can put their quarterback back there and have him clean and have him a, give him a pocket, uh, they're, dan they're dangerous. Their offense is still dangerous. And this is without, like I said, their top two running backs and uh, without all that Jonathan Taylor brings to them when he is on the field. There's so much to unpack from this game. Of course, with the Jaguars, it's hilarious um, watching them. You know, they they go in, they go two and one. They they blow out a very bad Colts team in the second week. They then go in boat race a really skeleton crew of a Chargers team, and 
suddenly everybody in the general media crowns them the AFC South victors. There was a lot of takery from the offseason about how the Jaguars would be the worst to first team in their division this year. And it was the, I think, the clear choice, um, just the, the chalky choice for, for teams that way. Because you always, almost every single year, you see somebody in, in one of the divisions go from worst to first and make a massive leap. And they had all of the ingredients on paper to do that. But they've now lost three straight since that start. And um, it, it's not gone great for them. They blew a 14-point lead in Philadelphia. They, of course, didn't score a touchdown against the Texans. And then they end up letting Matt Ryan in this Colts offense, which we've seen struggle so much, so much this year, so far this year, uh, put up 34 points against them. So the Jaguars, I think it's just, again, it, it is an overreaction. We are teetering back and forth and we found the middle, which is where should have, where people should have been this whole time, just that they are a year away, right? So with the Jaguars, it's pretty clear cut with the Colts. I think it's really fascinating and I'm not sure what you can make of them this this week they you know they this is the best they've looked by far this week all all year long they looked pretty good at times in this game and like you said Matt Ryan had a really fantastic day by far his best day not to be too much of a hater I do question how much of a winning recipe it is for a 37 year old Matt Ryan to be throwing the ball 60 times in a game um and they did I mean a lot of those passes they they were cooking with with without those running backs back there doing a lot of work in the quick passing game, the screen game, the dump off game and it was working for them. So credit to that coaching staff for for doing a good job in that regard. I just wonder how sustainable that style of football is um against better opponents against a team like the Titans where, you know, they they've got some they've got some players on this defense that are I think going to be a bigger issue for them. Uh, for the Colts, that is, than the Jaguars' defense had to offer. I think this game will just be really telling. And, of course, it'll be massive. The implications for the division should be really big this week. So we're going from having a bye and not much to talk about to a lot to discuss with this Titans and Colts game on Sunday, which will be a really big deal. I want to turn our attention towards some more Titans-specific topics. But first, if you are a business owner in Middle Tennessee looking for advertising opportunities, we'd love to talk to you about advertising with us here on the Hot Read Podcast or on one of our other Broadway Sports Media Podcast Network shows or on our website. So reach out to us via social media or via email on our website, and we'd love to discuss those possibilities for you to reach thousands of people in the Middle Tennessee area. So Sam, let's talk about some Titan-specific topics this week. Of course, we're back on the horse with them hosting the Colts in the second of their two divisional uh, matchup games this year, getting them out of the way early once again this season. So the Titans have the opportunity to take a decisive lead in the division uh, over the Colts and the Jaguars for that matter before Halloween. We saw them do that last year and it, and it allowed them to kind of coast towards the end of the year, just with their injury situation. It set them up nicely. This game um, we'll talk a little bit more about here in a second, but I want to look back pre-buy for the Titans through their first five games. Of course, losing week one to the Giants. Horrible at the time. An embarrassing loss. A terrible way to start. And particularly a terrible way to start when you were looking down the barrel of a Buffalo team in week two who absolutely annihilated them. However, we now find ourselves six weeks into the NFL season and the Giants and the Bills are the only two teams in the league with a 5-1 and one record. Now, right now, we're, we're recording this in the middle of the 
Eagles Cowboys game. So the, the Eagles will probably still be the outright leader in the NFL. If not, they'll be at five and one as well. But these two teams, whether or not the, the Giants are a little bit fraudulent right now, is certainly, I think, a fair question. And we'll probably tackle that towards the end in a game that I have planned for us. Nonetheless, those two losses look different today than I think they did at the time. Does the fact that those two teams have played so well this year change the way that you look at this Titans team through six weeks? Or does it, you know, maybe change the way that you look at those losses? It changes the way I look at the losses. I don't think it changes the way I look at the team. Uh, The process of how the Titans have played their games, their process of having poor second halves, uh, refusing to put teams away in a lot of these games, uh, their lack of offense in the second half, uh, and the level of execution they've had in the red zone on both sides of the football kind of tells the story for the team. They need more explosive plays and they need to give up less explosive plays. They need to get into drives in the second half more uh, and not let teams uh, have long sustained drives on them in the second half more. So those things still stand. And I think the story of the 2022 Titans is the same for me, but it certainly affects the way I look at those losses. When that Giants loss happened, uh, that was kind of the question, Easton, of, you know, hey, maybe this Giants team is a little bit better than we think. And certainly when they lost to Buffalo, as embarrassing as that game was, it was, okay, well, this is one of the elite teams in the NFL this year and probably the Super Bowl favorite at the time. And now looking at a 5-1 and one Giants team that's beat a couple of really good teams and played in some really competitive games so far, you start to you know, kind of shrug those off a little bit, even some of these wins as well. You looked at the Raiders at 0-3 when Tennessee knocked them off and said, well, they're a winless Raiders team. Well, the Raiders, while their record still doesn't reflect it, they played a heck of a game against Kansas City, uh, and they've continued to play really competitive football against some good teams where the talent that is in Vegas uh, just kind of shows that the Titans have not played an easy schedule by any means so far to uh, begin this season. But overall, I don't think it affects the way I look at the team because I think some of these mistakes are mistakes regardless because the mistakes that we saw against the Giants and the mistakes we saw against the Bills and the Raiders are the same mistakes we saw against the Washington Commanders who are not a good football team. And they need to be corrected regardless. Uh, Kudos to the Titans for staying in all but one of their games so far, including that Giants game. But... I do think fans kind of look back on that still and say, well, you should be uh, one of those four and one teams and not the Giants. Yeah, agreed entirely. I, I do think it changes the way that you look at the wins and losses so far this year. Of course, hindsight's always twenty twenty in that regard. But the way that the team uh, is seen, I, I don't think it should alter that. Let's talk about the Titans left tackle situation. Of course, right now, since losing Taylor Lewan in that Buffalo game in week two, They've been rolling with Dennis Daly, the left tackle, and it has been a complete and utter disaster at this point. Um, he's he's just not good at football. We, we talked a lot about this on the, the last episode of this show. We, we went into detail looking at the film on the Mike Herndon show last week. So if you haven't seen that, go check it out. It is rough. Um, he, he's not a guy you want starting. He's not a guy really you can have starting and be a successful football team in my eyes it leaves them with some options and there's really four in my mind. Um, and I, I want to get your thoughts on what they might should do. One option is for them to continue to roll with Dennis Daly. Technically it is an option. However, I don't think that it is something that they can 
honestly do at this point and and decide that's the best choice for them. The next option would be trotting out a guy who was expected to start on the offensive line this year, but hasn't been as good as people thought he might become in his second year. And that's of course, Dylan Radins. He's a guy that of course was, was slotted to be the right tackle ended up getting beat out in the preseason and in training camp by Nicholas Petit Frere. He then became kind of the swing lineman has played one game with the team so far started last week uh, at Washington at that right guard position, filling in for Nate Davis was fine serviceable, not great, had some really rough moments, but didn't blow up the game. Um, He's a guy that they could try to slot in there. Of course, that is his natural position, left tackle. It's what he's played the entirety of his career outside of the NFL Um, in high school and in college. It's all he did was play left tackle. Whether or not he's physically the athlete for the job is another question, but it's what he's used to. Um, The next option would be rolling out LaRaven Clark, who – is a guy that I'm not sure everybody is familiar with. He's on this roster. We talked about him on this last episode of the show last Friday. He's a guy that has been a tackle moving around the league a good bit, played for the Eagles. His best year was with the Eagles back in 2018, was with the Colts last year, and was uh, a very middling to underachieving left tackle. He's now with this team, and physically his traits match that of what you'd want in a tackle. He's done it before. He's He's played left tackle at a high-ish level, a good level before. So he's an option. And I guess your fourth option technically would be, and I'm looking at the Titans depth chart right now, they technically have Nicholas petit Ferrer listed as their second string left tackle. You saw him play left tackle in college some. It did not go well as compared to his right tackle tape. And of course, if you moved him there, you'd then have to figure out a new right tackle. So they have some options, whether any of those are any good, is uh, up to your discretion. What would you do? Of course, they've got a big stretch here coming up. Of course, the Colts game, massive deal. And then whoever they have at left tackle in the Colts game, they're going to almost certainly want to roll with and try to build some momentum with because they're going to be going into Arrowhead the following week on Sunday Night Football, a massive game against a really tough opponent. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a catch-22. I haven't seen LaRaven Clark really play. I haven't seen him practice. It's kind of hard for me to speak on uh, where I think he's at in terms of his competence level or or battle of that position, not having seen him. I don't think Dylan Radins is a viable option. He really struggled during training camp. And Easton, they moved him from left tackle for a reason. He, Mm -hmm. He struggles as the athlete, like you said, to get out on the perimeter and really set the edge on blocks. They found that moving him inside to guard, uh, not only was he competent because he didn't really have to cover as much space, uh, but I also think you need him at guard, given the way Aaron Brewer has played. I don't think his job is safe at all either. Aaron Brewer's technique has really been uh, lackluster so far. He got ran over and bull rushed a couple times, and he just does not weigh enough to be a guard, a starting left guard in the NFL Uh, unless his technique is really, really sound. And to this point, it hasn't been. So I think keeping Raidens at guard, continuing him, continuing to develop him there uh, possibly gives you insurance. Uh, Obviously you have Jordan Ruse, Corey Levin, a couple other guys that you can kind of stick in there at guard. But I do think Raidens did a decent job against Washington. And I want to see some consistency with him. I don't think you can do this 
tackle. Now you're going to guard and you're going to work at guard. And now we're going to move you back to tackle thing. I think Dylan needs consistency in whatever he's working on. I would run some combination of Daly or Clark, really whoever they feel like is set apart in the competition. Like I said, I haven't seen Clark. I'd love for them to make a move. But what I keep telling people, starting left tackles are not really available on the trade market or on the free agent market. They would be on teams and those teams want to keep the good ones. <laughs> Uh, and that's why you see guys like Dennis Daly get traded and then not have much success because there's a reason uh, Carolina didn't want to hang on to him to begin with. I think they need a lot of chip help. I think that will go a long way towards protecting Ryan Tannehill. I've been saying for a week now, I think they need to give Hassan Haskins more snaps and just get a look in there as their best pass protector uh, to try and assist on that left side of the line and give Ryan Tannehill enough time to find guys and make throws downfield. I'm not sure there's a good option, and I'm not sure there's an option that you can look at and feel good about. Uh, right now, it would be a combination of Clark and Daly. I I would go with Daly one more week, and if it's still not working against the Colts, I think you just have to, you know, throw Clark out there or, or try something and see if switching something up helps. But I don't like the idea of moving Dylan Radens back to tackle after all of the positive strides he's made inside. So I think we disagree a little bit on Dylan Radens and what they should do at left tackle. I want to I want to lay out my argument and hear your thoughts. With Daly and what you said there at the end is is ultimately my sentiment. You have to try something different. Daly, you mentioned chip help in analyzing the film with with Mike Herndon last week on his show. He had chip help and, and still got bulldozed a number of times. He yeah. he's just not viable at that at that position even with help and of course it's a it's a forced multiplier for bad because like you mentioned with Aaron Brewer being a little bit of a suspect athlete at right guard or at left guard rather the combination of those two over there makes that side of the line just unbelievably poor um neither of them can help one one another out because they're so busy failing to do their own job with Raiden's, I, I agree with you that he's made positive st strides at guard athletically, testing wise. I agree that he, I think, is a guard in this league. And I also agree that it's not helpful for anybody's development to constantly be shifted around. However, I see this year as the year they have to figure out what they have in him. And I think giving him a try at the position he's most natural at, at the position he did end up starting last season on Thursday night against the 49ers. Uh, his one start of the year was fine in that game, the worst of the linemen in that game, but didn't blow up the game. And that's ultimately what they need to avoid, right? You don't have to have a great left tackle, but you have to have somebody that's not single-handedly ruining plays that otherwise would be successful. This offense does not have enough of those successful offensive plays in the bag for one guy to be ruining four or five of them, which is what Dennis Daly did in Washington why not see what they have in him or LaRaven Clark or anybody? Because it would be really, really difficult for it to be any worse than daily. If you go to PFF, PFF has daily ranked as the 70th out of 72 starting tackles in the league. I just don't see them trying anybody else as a negative. Yeah. I mean, my, my argument to that would be that they have tried it uh, and they have seen it and they've seen it through, you know, uh, live joint practices and training camp and they in their own internal work and they've decided to move him inside. So my, my, 
my overall kind of point with the whole daily thing is there's no question daily has been bad and he has not been good enough. I would try Clark before Raidens, but I think everybody needs to keep in mind the grass isn't always greener. Uh, and that's kind of the unfortunate situation the Titans are in where just because this guy's bad doesn't mean the next guy will be any better. I know what you're saying. It, it feels like it can't be worse, but I tend to believe that Mike Vrabel and Keith Carter uh, assessed the situation with Raidens and moved him inside for a reason. Uh, so it will be really, really interesting, especially with Luan out for the year now and, and seeing the negative regression from uh, daily as the weeks have gone on. I thought he came in and wasn't he terrible. And it's kind of just, no, it's gone downhill. downhill. Yeah. It's just yeah. been a downhill slope since then. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where Dylan Raidens is lining up for practice this week, but the, yeah, there's no question. The left side of the line between Brewer and daily has been terrible. Even with chip help at times, it's been bad. I think they need to bring that more. I think they need to bring it better with Hassan Haskins instead of Dontrell Hilliard or Derrick Henry sometimes. Mm. And just, uh, if you have to bring out two backs in order to have one as a pass catching threat and one as your chip help, you have to do what you have to do. They weren't afraid to do it uh, on the misdirection touchdown to Hilliard in Washington. They That's had right. both Henry and Hilliard both on the field. I want to see more of that, but yeah, the grass I agree with is you there. always greener. And until Dylan Radins or the Raven Clark is able to show that to me, uh, I have a hard time believing. I, like I said, I'm not in the practices uh, for a lot of the live portions of it i'm in the i'm there every day to watch a lot of the walkthroughs a lot watch a lot of the individual drills but those live sessions are a whole different beast and whatever the titans coaches are seeing behind closed doors uh is giving them reason to stick dennis daly there week after week right now well regardless it's going to be fascinating to see what they do at that position this week and, and what they do in the weeks going forward i think that the thing we can agree on is that they have to do something um and what what they choose to do will be something to watch. Let's talk about a guy on the other side of the ball. That's Caleb Farley. He's been a hot topic, of course. Second year, first year, really getting to play after his injury last year, coming back off of that 20 CL. And, and he's a guy who, let me lay out my take for you on Caleb Farley, and I want to see what your reaction to it is. I think they've reached a point with Caleb Farley where they have to bench him until he gets back his speed and confidence. And what I see with this guy is somebody that is fighting an uphill battle on two separate fronts and can't handle it. We've seen veteran players come back from ACL injuries before and really not look any good for the first three, four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe even, yeah, a half of a season before they really get that confidence back, that speed element back, that ability to make uh, sharp cuts on the field back. We saw this with Bud Dupree and Taylor Lewan last year, right? They did not look very good in their first couple of games back and then really hit their stride towards the end of the year. With Farley, I think he's dealing with that. Obviously, you look at him, and he's a guy coming out of college, had rumored 4-3, maybe even 4-2 speed. Of course, we didn't get to see because he didn't have a pro day. Um, but he, he, he had burner speed on tape. Clearly, he did clocked with GPS running the fastest in college football uh, that, that they had ever tracked at the time. And then in his time with the Titans so far this season, after the ACL injury, you're seeing him get absolutely dusted by Diami Brown, who came out with like mid four, four speed um, and just not have that closing speed 
and length that he had in college that made him such a, a fantastic cornerback talent. He's dealing with, so I think he's dealing with that ACL issue, but on top of that, he's also dealing with the learning curve. I think that, that all new players in the league go through, of course, he's not a rookie this year. It's his second year, but he didn't get very much run at all last year before going down with the injury and being out. So it's all been mental reps since then. And just learning the playbook. I see a guy that is, is fighting the learning curve and, and the, the, the natural mistakes that a new player makes at the same time that he's trying to fight re- returning to confidence and ability with his, with his knee and just his overall health situation. And I think he, he has to be sat at this point as to not ruin the Titans secondary, first of all, but also as to not ruin his confidence, they need to keep him out until he's got that speed back on the practice field. What do you think that they should do with Caleb Farley? Yeah, I, uh, I know it's a little bit of a hot take. I do take the opposite viewpoint with Caleb Farley and with what I think the coaching staff needs to do. I agree with you. I, I think there is a level of recovery from the knee injury, uh, that is, you know, hindering him. But I think a lot of it is that confidence and playing defensive back, especially in the NFL, such an instinctive position. You have to be able to trust your instincts, react in a moment's notice, close quickly to the football and trust yourself. And right now, to me, it doesn't look like Caleb Farley trusts himself while he's back there, especially in man coverage for the Titans. He's had some good moments, but uh, it's been something that it, he's getting beat deep and those go routes have been his Achilles heel. And even a guy like Deami Brown that you mentioned does not have Caleb Farley's speed does not have Caleb Farley's athleticism is able to beat him deep. For me, Easton, it comes back to what we talked about last time I was on the show, which is the gamble that John Robinson and Mike Vrabel made with Mm. this roster. They placed a bet on Caleb Farley and gambled on their young rookies and their draft picks. And to me, and and in in my perspective, I think they have sort of an obligation to Caleb Farley and to those guys to see that through. I think that you have a... This is the this is the bed that you made, and now you have to lie, lie in it. Yeah, exactly. That that is my viewpoint with this because okay. taking Caleb Farley out, benching him after one mistake against the Commanders, and every time he gets beat on a play, sitting him down and saying, "Well, we can't have mistakes and can't be getting beat deep," does nothing for a guy's confidence. You can't play cornerback and defensive back afraid to make a mistake. I think Caleb Farley needs to be allowed to fail. And right now he's failing and then he's failing a lot and he's failing in big ways that do hurt the Titans defense badly. And I still think that you have to stick with him because we heard from Christian Fulton a couple weeks ago in media where he said, well, I got my confidence from the coaches giving me opportunity and not having opportunity kills a defensive backs confidence. We heard from Marcus Mariota today in the Atlanta Falcons press conference about, well, he felt he had his confidence taken from him in Tennessee and through Arthur Smith and the Atlanta Falcons and the organizations that went out and got him, he feels like he has his confidence back and trusts himself more as a quarterback. That is what I want to see out of Caleb Farley. And I think if the Titans continue to give him opportunity and allow him to fail and grow as a player, you might see results that match that. And it, it, it's a gamble. It sucks. It's what you said. It's not good for the defense right now. And it's been the backbreaker on a lot of these games where 
you play great defense all around. Oh, but we're giving up 75 yard touchdowns. You can't have that. Caleb knows that everybody knows that, but to take somebody out after one bad play in a game and like he was playing to my, for what I thought pretty okay, pretty well up to that point on his snaps in Washington. And then to not go back to him and not give him opportunity that does more to hurt his confidence than getting beat ever will. You have to remind him that, hey, we drafted you for a reason. We believe in you for a reason uh, and give him the opportunity to go out there and prove it. I'm so glad that you disagree because I, 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 you know, always wanting to get some diverse viewpoints and perspectives on this show. And you make a fascinating argument um, that it, it is it is tricky, right? Like as a team, you have to do what's best for the team and, and put guys out there that aren't going to just blow up the opportunity that the rest of the team is presenting you with in this, this secondary while questionable. Um, they don't have a ton of uh, issues that they haven't so far had a ton of issues where there's just one clear weak spot um, that, that is just ruining it for everybody else with Caleb Farley. He's kind of been that a little bit here and there. And like you said, he is failing, but, he also is never going to get over those learning curves unless he has a chance to go out there and, and learn the hard way and go through that trial by fire. So I think it'll be really fascinating to see. Of course, they ended up benching him in Washington. So, um, you know, you make a strong argument, but they I don't think they seem to agree with you so far. Well, what they do with him going forward will be interesting. Yeah, well, go the ahead. The deal is, too, it, with it's, it comes down to the injuries for me, too. The reason I've been so adamant about playing him is because I personally don't have that much more trust in Terrence Mitchell back there. <laughs> that's than I do that's a fair point. Partly, though, therefore, thus far, at least. So right. I said, why not give him opportunity? I think the Titans defense changes a lot once Elijah Molden and Ugo Amadi are healthy. Yes. And I think the bye week might have done that where if you have Elijah Molden and Ugo Amadi back, I do have a hard time saying give Caleb Farley reps, especially when you can go Christian Fulton to one side, Roger McCreary to another side, and then some combination of Molden uh, and Amadi in the nickel. Uh, and that allows you to do more with your defense, not having to force McCreary inside into the nickel. Um, and I think it takes away a lot of Farley's opportunity. I've just been, for the most part so far, I'm like, hey, Terrence Mitchell, is he really good enough to kill this guy's confidence to take mm. opportunity away from a guy that is eight games into his NFL career, eight games into his NFL career, and he's already having really all opportunity in the defense taken away from him at such a young, uh, you know, naive age in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that that is a really strong case, and it's a perfect transition into our last topic here before we get to our game, before we get out of here, um, and that's talking about the Titans that have been banged up, been injured in recent weeks. I wanted to rank the importance of the return of some of these banged up guys. Now, first of all, to kind of set the scene, and we've been talking about this on the show for a couple of weeks now, or a couple of episodes now, the Titans saw their opportunity with the Washington game, followed by the bye, followed by two really big AFC matchups in the Colts and the Chiefs to get guys essentially – three weeks of rest for the price of one sitting them out. Um, if they are banged up at all and are, are valuable to this team, they sat a lot of guys in Washington. now do I know that all of those guys, you know, you know, maybe some of them could have gone. I don't know that for sure. Of course I'm not, I'm not their doctor, but it, it, it would shock me if, you know, that game were to have been against the Colts, all those guys would have been deemed out. It seemed like it was kind of a calculated move for them all to sit. And so 
I think the idea was let's get these guys back and get them ready to face the Colts and the Chiefs. We want our guys for those games. So I would be shocked if a lot of these guys didn't return this week in practice and get ready to play those games. I've got a list here of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys that have been out for the Titans um, and could reasonably be expected to be back. Now, of course, Traylon Burks, not one of those guys on IR, not going to be back until week 10 at the earliest. But here are the guys that that could return this week. You got Nate Davis, who was out just last week. Bud Dupree, who's been dealing with some injuries. Amani Hooker, Racy McMath, who could be coming back from the IR. Elijah Molden, who could be coming back from IR. Zach Cunningham, Ola Daney, and Joe Jones. Let's let's start with the guys on this list that are the obvious, like, oh, they really need these guys back. To me, that's Nate Davis, Bud Dupree, and Amani Hooker. Those are the guys that stick out the most. Of those three, who to you is the most important for them to have back as soon as possible? Nate Davis. And it comes <laughs> Good down answer. to watching that game in, <laughs> in, in Washington because – uh, you mentioned uh, I didn't think Dylan Radens was bad or you know a detriment by any means for the Titans offensive line uh, in Washington, but the offensive line was a detriment as a whole. And uh, anytime you have a guy that is as sound and uh, solid as Nate Davis can be, just bring a little stability up the middle there with him and Ben Jones uh, and I mean Nicholas Petit Frere now being there for. Basically, the year you want as much of your offensive line back as possible. They need help on the front. Yep. Uh, and so I, I do think, you know, in terms of safety, like Amani Hooker's a great player. I, I think they've been fine there for the most part. Uh, Bud Dupree as well is a, a talented game-changing player. And I still feel like that uh, Danico Autry has stepped up uh, in a big way. Rashad Weaver has had a good start to the season with, Bud Dupree in and out of the lineup. Uh, and I've even been impressed with Mario Edwards Jr. And then his time here in Tennessee so far and the chemistry he's had with Autry when on the field. So Davis is the glaring one. Uh, and Elijah Molden too, of course, who I mentioned earlier. But Davis is the one that I'm like, that is a clear, clear weakness of the team right now. And you've got a big guy uh, for that unit out. Yeah, agreed entirely. Nate Davis is a top 10 guy at his position. Um, and he, he has to be back. I think the good news for Titans fans is of these guys, he seems like the guy most likely to be back this week. He went, um, on the injury report the week before Washington midweek with a knee, I believe was, uh, held out after being questionable for a little bit. I'd be shocked if he's not back, um, with Bud Dupree and Amani hooker. I see them as relatively equal in importance, but I'd have to give the edge to Dupree just because of how little they have besides Dupree and Adaney and Weaver at that edge position and how much the pass rush seems to struggle whenever he's not a part of that equation. Um, they, they clearly need him back. And I, I honestly have no, I mean, how sitting here right now on Sunday night, how confident are you that Bud Dupree will be ready for this game? He's a hard one to predict because he's yeah. one of those guys that you see out there for practice and he'll be out there one day, won't, out, won't be out there another day. They say he's going to play and then you're six snaps in and he's uh, back in the locker room. So yep. uh, hopefully the bye week was what he needed of just a, a little bit of a two week stretch with no game action and a rest uh, to to get right and get back to who Bud Dupree is as a player and back to 100%. So I feel 
how are we doing this on a percentage scale? Is that what we're, is that? What yeah. We're give doing? me, give me a one out of 10, 10 being you're sure he's going to be back. How I'll give him a, I'll give him a seven. I, I okay. feel pretty good about it, especially given the fact that he's been on and off and then you give him two weeks to rest. That feels like a guy that they at least would want to have out there for a big game against Indianapolis. So whatever they can do to have him out there, even if it's at a limited snap count, uh, I, I feel pretty good that Bud Dupree's going to play, but we have to see what the deal is uh, tomorrow and Wednesday once media is allowed at practices for the first time and see if he's out there. Yeah, agreed. And that's the thing with these guys. All of the guys on this list, eight all, eight, all eight of them have had, again, nearly three weeks now of rest. So if any of these guys aren't back this week, I think it would be fair to really put a red flag on their injury situation and say, okay, what they're dealing with, a longer term thing than than otherwise thought to be. The two guys, besides those big three that we mentioned on this list that I find fascinating are the two that are eligible and have been eligible for uh, a week now to come off of IR. And that's Racy McMath and Elijah Molden. We've talked, we've been talking about the return of Elijah Molden um, for a while now, just with the secondary and how you can tell things will probably get a lot better when, and if he returns and is healthy because he's such a, or in his first year at the very least was such a um, nice, stable slot option at cornerback. It's going to allow for Caleb Farley to see the field less um, Terrence Mitchell for sure to see the field less it's going to allow for um, some of the, the guys that they have at the cornerback position who would rather you'd rather have playing on the outside play on the outside um, Roger McCreary is the guy for me that you know I, I want to see him less in the slot and a lot more on the outside that's where he succeeded in college we've seen him struggle so far in his action at the slot and they've just been ha- kind of having to patch that up without Molden who's their slot guy when he returns, I think it's going to be a big deal for the secondary. And then Racy McMath has been my dark horse since the preseason, just to add an element to this Titans wide receiver core that they, again, have lacked severely. And it's that deep threat. I don't think that he's the one trick pony that people are afraid he might be and are kind of turned off by the idea of, well, you know, okay, they might get a one trick pony guy who might just fill that deep shot once every other game role and he can't do anything else. What's that really going to do for this offense? In in my experience watching Race McMath this, this past summer, I saw a guy who developed a lot more from year one to year two than somebody that's just going to be a one-trick guy. I see a guy, he's not necessarily a do-it-all receiver, but I think he's a do-it-some receiver, and he's going to have more in his bag as a receiver than just that deep, deep route. So I want to, you know, we don't know the nature of his injury. We don't know when, when or if he'll be back. But do you think him returning will will provide any juice for this Titans offense? I hope so. Yeah, I I I don't know if I agree with you that he won't be like. I, I do think he's grown. I do think he's developed. But I think even if he hasn't, and even if he has a one trick pony, I still think that's huge for the Titans offense. They'll take like, that one trick. Yeah, I yeah. will sign up for a deep bomb once every other game. Given what the Titans have produced on offense thus far, I think it does a lot for opening up the field. It does a lot for Robert Woods and Kyle Phillips, and oh, obviously what it does for Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill and play action and. Uh, it provides a lot of different options, and so far they haven't had a guy that they have consistency consistently been able to give looks to downfield. They tried two of them, the NWI in Washington, because they're so desperate for pushing the ball down the field. Ryan Tannehill told us like the first day of training camp that was going to be a point of emphasis this year, and he really hasn't had anybody to do it with consistent 
consistently. We watched in training camp him grow that rapport with Racy McMath on a daily basis. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's out before the season can even begin. The Titans need that. And even if it is just here or there throwing a ball or just the thought of, hey, we got to think about this guy deep for an opposing defense. I'd be really interested in seeing what Racy brings to the Titans offense right now. Uh, yeah, like you said, I don't know what his injury situation is in terms of his availability. There is no news that they, he's going to be designated for return or has been designated for return. Right. One guy you didn't have on that list is Monty Rice, who was oh, that's designated right. yeah. for return, who I do expect to see. Well, he did play a couple snaps in Washington, uh, mm-hmm. but you uh, hope to see a little bit more or heavier dose of him now uh, two weeks later. McMath is interesting. He is. And, and you know, I do think he's grown in some of his technique and uh, nuanced routes a little bit. But even if he can just get you the thought of a deep ball or a deep target once or twice a game could change the game for the Titans offense big time. Or at the very least a threat that that yeah. threat of him on the field making defenses have to be a little bit more honest. You've touched a little bit on it. What are your thoughts on Molden and his potential return? Yeah, no, it's what you said. I thought you were 100% accurate. Uh, it is whatever you can do to get Roger McCreary back outside and regularly mm-hmm. in one-on-one matchups. He has shown an ability to have a lot of success there. And uh, in terms of getting beat deep, you would like to think that goes away for the most part without Caleb Farley and Terrence Mitchell on the field regularly and giving Christian Fulton Roger McCreary. Now you go, okay, Elijah Mitchell's in the nickel and he's sitting in the slot for us and you get Imani Hooker and Kevin Byard back. All of a sudden the Titans secondary is starting to look like what it was supposed to be when the year started. And that yes. was my, what I was championing all throughout training camp was this secondary is good, but they are thin. And if yes, they have so a couple thin. injuries, they are, I do not like the defensive back depth. That's I said it in training camp. I say it now. I think it remains true. I think Fulton outside of his one mistake really against the giants uh, has been really solid. Yep. Uh, Roger McCreary's done a good job in man coverage when he's more comfortable. Like you said, the nickel's yep. not really where he's supposed to be. So it's not even really an Elijah Molden thing for me. It's a Roger McCreary what he does for the rest for of the team. Yes. It's a yeah. addition by subtraction of a couple guys that have been a detriment to the defense. And then <laughs> yeah. addition by getting Roger McCreary in a position that he's more comfortable in. All right, let's move into our, our final uh, segment here, which is a game that I've got for us. And, and Sam has been so kind, of course, uh, Sam Phelan joining us from A to Z sports covering the Titans. Super grateful to you for the time that you've given us and we love having you on the show of course um let's get into this game real quick before we do that if you aren't already subscribed to the hot read podcast what are you doing listening to podcasts a la carte like this not subscribing subscribe they'll be like delivered to you whenever they come out it's way easier than just having to find each one on its own so do that subscribe and then i know every show you've ever listened to has asked you to do this um don't ignore us this one time. I, I know I listen to a lot of podcasts. I get it. But if you could leave us a five-star rating and then a review, say whatever you want. Feedback is a gift. So if it's serious, we, we appreciate that. If you want to say something ridiculous, go for it. We don't care. Just make it five stars. It, it, it will really help us. And, and it means a lot more to us, the 10 seconds that it takes you to write that review. than, of course, it will to you. So we appreciate that. It really helps the show. We'll shout you out on the show if, if you do that. And we love getting those reviews and reading them. So 
please subscribe, rate, and review. All right, Sam, final game here before we, we get out of here on a Monday morning. Hot read, cold read is what we're doing. I've got a couple of topics around the NFL that we are going to deem hot or cold based on whether or not we think that they are um, a little bit maybe of an overreaction through about six, about a, not quite a third of, of the year, um, or whether or not we think that this is this is spot on. This is a hot read. We are liking the, the, the prospects of this take. So let's let's start off with this Wait, first so, one. So hot means I like it. Cold yeah, yeah, yeah. Means I'm out. Yeah, yep, you're in if it's hot. You're out if it's cold. Okay. Okay. Hot read, cold read. Yep. Those are the the terms of engagement here. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So the first the first uh, read we need to judge here. Did the Rams stink? Super Bowl champions last year. So far this year, brutal start to the year. Um, th- their record isn't you know the worst in the league by any means. They I believe are at three and three now through six games, but they've looked really rough. And in their losses, they've looked super rough. Kind of looks like Matt Stafford out there running for his life behind a, a constantly dwindling offensive line. Folks, if you thought it's bad so far after today's game, it was announced that they've probably lost their left tackle for the year. Um, so it just continues to spiral for them. And outside of Cooper Cup, I'm not sure what they do well offensively. Hot reader, cold read, Sam. Do the Rams stink? I think it's a cold read. Uh, and, okay. uh, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say they stink. I don't think they're the NFC contenders uh, that you expected them to be coming into the year, maybe. But uh, they've told you who they are a couple weeks now, and uh, I'm inclined to listen to them. I don't think they stink, but I do think they're a middle-of-the-road NFC team. I think they'll fight for that division uh, just because that division's wildly inconsistent, and we saw that with San Francisco falling by two scores to the Falcons today. So that puts the Rams tied up for first place in the NFC West with their win. I don't think they stink. Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but I don't think that they are a Super Bowl contender uh, for 2022. All right, out of the gate, we're going to disagree. I think the Rams stink. I've thought it for a couple weeks now. I don't see them overcoming these offensive line issues. And with Matt Stafford back there, I don't think that is a recipe for success. Um, I just don't see what they can do from a personnel standpoint. They've kind of sold their souls to be the most top-heavy team in the league. And when those top guys go out, the depth shows just how much they have they have invested in that that top of the roster um and it's it's brutal so i'm gonna say hot read i think the rams stink next team is the packers do the packers stink they lost today in pretty decisive fashion to the new york football jets who are on a roll uh the packers have looked really shaky so far this year as well with them i think it's less shocking than the rams just because of losing you know Devontae adams pretty good at being a wide receiver um and, and they've also just really not addressed the lack of offensive weapons that aaron Rodgers has around him rogers doesn't look like the mvp for the third straight year hard to do that uh forever and ever especially at his age and the defense hasn't been anything necessarily to write home about do the packers stink no, the Packers don't stink either, and I've okay. uh, I've learned this lesson growing up in Chicago time and okay. time again. <laughs> uh, just when you count Aaron Rodgers and the Packers out, they tend to uh, give me the ugly truth once again and can I kind of catch fire here. I They've looked bad. They haven't looked like themselves. Uh, outside of today, I think that they're going to have success running the football with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in their backfield, which uh, kind of has been their bread and butter in games that they have looked like 
uh, a dominant team in the NFC. But at the end of the day, it's Aaron Rodgers. Even on a day like today, he found success with Robert Tanyan and Alan Lazard. Uh, even though he was at times inconsistent and they lacked a lot of offensive rhythm, they turned the ball over, uh, I think, a couple times with some fumbles. Maybe. Yep. Yeah, they had two yep. fumbles. Uh, one, one of them they lost, uh, which really killed them. And then special teams has always been a weakness of them. But I tend to buy into good coaching and buy into good quarterback play. I think that each of the last two teams we've gone over, say what you want about Matt Stafford on whether or not he's an elite quarterback, but I do certainly think that he's good. Uh, and Sean McVay and uh, Matt LaFleur are two of the best yeah. coaches in the NFL. And I think coaching will prevail. There might be a little bit of an adjustment period from Rodgers as well, losing Luke Getze and Nathaniel Hackett, his quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator, each in the same year. So I'd like to give them more time. So no, I don't think the Packers stink. If I said they did, they would start winning a lot of games. <laughs> they spoken like a true Chicago boy. I'm with you on this one. You said cold read. I'm going to go cold read as well. Um, I don't think they're going to win that division. I think the Vikings will, but I don't think they stink quite yet. And I think that Rodgers is just too good to not get better as the year goes on. All right, turning our attention to two teams that might not stink. Are the Giants any good at football? Of course, they're one of the only teams with five wins through six weeks. Five and one. Got another unlikely win today against the Baltimore Ravens in comeback fashion. Knocked off a couple of good teams at this point. The Ravens, the Titans, the Packers. They're looking pretty good. And Ryan Dable in his first year as head coach is looking fantastic. Are the Giants a good football team? I think that's a uh, hot read. I do think the Giants are a very good football team. Okay. Uh, they're not the most talented team on paper, especially with their wide receiver core, especially with Daniel Jones at quarterback. But Brian Dable has done an excellent job of finding what Daniel Jones does well and using it to his advantage. He runs the ball with Daniel Jones bootleg after bootleg after bootleg. And with the combination of Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones, teams just aren't able to stop it, frankly. Uh, Jones is... The, I believe is the second fastest quarterback in the NFL behind Lamar Jackson. In terms Which is of so funny. Full Nobody knows speed. it. Yeah, he's, it's insane. Uh, he, he's got a lot of sneaky athleticism to him. And Brian Dable, like I said, has done a great job of maximizing the talent there. And Wink Martindale and that defense are legit. Uh, they came to Nashville in week one. And I kind of uh, overlooked the Giants defense and said, well, they don't really have too many playmakers on this defense. As a unit, Wink Martindale has done a great job of containing just about every offense that they've gone against. And you can say that they're frauds because of Daniel Jones or whatever reason, because they are the New York Giants. At the end of the day, they have gone on a stretch here, beating some really, really good teams that uh, it's hard to deny for me at this point. Yeah, I think the Giants are good. They're not five and one good. Like, I don't think they win 12, 13 games. Yeah. But 11 and six, sign me up. Like, if you're, if, and I think if you're a Giants fan, they would sign up for that right now. They're going to make oh, the playoffs. Yeah, and you don't want to see them in the playoffs because uh, defense and efficient football is what wins in the playoffs. And so far, the Giants have done a really good job of protecting the football and uh, playing good defense in the game that they lost to Dallas was the one game that they turned the ball over at an alarming rate. So that's the recipe for them. They've done it so far. I'm going to say hot read as well, but for entirely different reasons. And I'm going to try to split the atom here a little bit because um, I don't think that they stink, but I also kind of think that they stink. Let me explain. So 
I was looking today at the numbers from the Baltimore and New York Giants game. The Giants were outgained by 170 yards. Um, they their yards per play. Baltimore had 7.0 yard, yards per play to the Giants 3.9. A, a 3.1 ne- a net negative 3.1 yards per play in a win is almost unheard of. It's a lot like the Titans uh, in the Washington game that they squeaked out last week. I think that Brian Dable is doing so much more with less right now. And they do have some talented players on that team. So I think that at the end of the day, they will not stink. And they'll actually be a a pretty respectable football team that has developed into something that is really a cohesive unit and maybe a danger even in the NFC playoffs. Because I agree, I think they're going to win 10 or 11 games and get to the playoffs. But I don't think right now they're a particularly great team. And and through um, just the, the resurgence of Saquon Barkley, and Daniel Jones not, you know, being a fumble machine and making horrible mistakes and Brian Dable being a really great head coach already in my eyes. I think that they are um, doing enough right now to, to stay afloat and they're way ahead of schedule for Brian Dable to turn them into a really respectable football team for years to come. I think they do a lot of what the Titans do really Entirely, well. Entirely, yes. Uh, which has been, everybody looks at the Titans every year and says, that's gross. I hate, it's Ryan Tannehill, gross. Exactly. Who's their, who's their number one wide receiver, especially when A.J. Brown's not there? Gross. That's gross. disgusting. And I'm not sure I can name anybody on their defense. And yet they have this defensive mentality where they do a couple things well. They have long drives. They don't turn the football over. They run the ball really, really well. And their quarterback is efficient without being detrimental through his mistakes. And as long as they can use Daniel Jones' legs as a weapon and have him not turn the football over, they found a recipe on defense that works. And they're going to play games, like you said, they're going to get outgained. And they're going to get beat around for what feels like four quarters. And then you're going to look up and say, how did they hang in this game long enough to be right in it at the end? Uh, And they've won games that way. That's exactly how they beat Green Bay. It's how they beat Baltimore. It's how they beat the Titans of just kind of hanging around long enough to have the game knock it out of hand. And then they executed a big time drive late in those games. Yeah, agreed entirely. They're a lot like the Titans. They're just the grossest confident team like they're the grossest good team right now and and i'm with you i I think that they are actually a good team let's move on to the next one are the jets any good i think this one's an easier question to me they have gotten to four and two and and have looked really good despite not having zach wilson to begin the year rolling with joe flacco now wilson is back he's three and oh since coming back knocked off the packers this week is there anything that that indicates to you that the, the jets are frauds Uh, No, not really. I mean, same issues, right? Zach Wilson doesn't look amazing to me. He never really has so far in the NFL, and I think he's grown a little bit. But they were able to find some success with Joe Flacco in there, and I think Zach Wilson adds another dimension to that offense because he is more athletic and more mobile. And it really is similar to the Giants for me, of a team that is able to run the ball at the rate the Jets have so far this year is a team that I look at as they are going to be tough to beat. They're always going to be tough to blow out. And Brees Hall, Michael Carter, that offensive line, that is a good, good system that they've got going on. They've got athletes in Braxton Berrios and Corey Davis and 
Elijah Moore and all of the different they've surrounded Zach Wilson with a bunch of talent that allows him makes his job really easy. You're able to beat Green Bay by three scores. Zach Wilson goes 10 of 18 in a game completions. that shows me that what you're building right now is sustainable. It's like the bears, but better, but it's but the good. Bears, <laughs> yeah. it, it's the bears with, uh, they run the football just as well as the bears do, but they have a much better offensive line. Their defense is more complete. Their pass rush is very good. They create turnovers. And that is a recipe for at least sustained competitiveness. Uh, I think everybody's waiting on the jets to fall back. I think they're a tough, tough play. Uh, if you're going to New York, especially. So it, it's weird because no, I don't think they're AFC contenders at all. I think they're not as good as they probably have been the last couple weeks, but I still yep. don't see them getting rolled over by anybody. No, I agree entirely. I think that's a totally hot read that the Jets are actually good. We got two more here. Hot read or cold read? The, the Falcons are going to win the N- NFC South. They're currently cold read. All right, talk me through it. Talk me through I mean, it. cold read. I, I think honestly, the Saints have a better chance than the Falcons wow. do, and the Saints the disrespect. I mean, the Saints are playing competitive football without Jameis Winston, without Michael Thomas, without Chris Olave. Uh, They're running a Taysom Hill, Andy Dalton starting quarterback with Marquez Callaway as their wide receiver one, and they're still competent out there. They didn't have Jarvis So are the Saints your pick to win that division? Uh, I don't know if they're my pick, but I I would pick Tampa Bay and I would pick uh, Tom Brady at the end of the day because of you all still the have guys the Falcons as the third that in they the have. Order. I would I would if you're placing a bet and you're placing a futures bet on NFC South champion right now, I go to the New Orleans Saints line before I go to Atlanta. The Saints almost beat Minnesota, who you just said was your favorite to win the NFC North. And I would agree with you in London last week, they were one kick away from Andy Dalton winning that game for them this week. The game should have went down to the wire against the Bengals and they lost it late. Once again, they've done this thing where they are able to run the ball with Kamara and Ingram. Uh, once you get Jameis in there and you add a passing game and a really dominant passing game, like they, they go heavy, heavy pass with Jameis out there. I think they're more dangerous than people give them credit for. They're banged up, but if they're healthy, that division is not out of reach by any means for the New Orleans Saints. So uh, eyeball emoji. That's my hot take there. Okay, that's, well, that's, I, a, that's a cold yeah. read there. I don't believe as much in the Falcons. Uh, and in their style of football, Marcus Mariota, as I mentioned him earlier, he's been great to to start this year. He played a wonderful game and probably some of the best football of his career today, totally. which yeah. got them an upset win. You could argue they should have beat Tampa Bay last week, which would put them at four and two in first place in that division. Uh, I I just have a hard time seeing them do it for a 17 game season, especially in some of those division games. Well, our dear listeners, if you agree with Sam, I'm looking right now as we sit here on Sunday night, uh, the Buccaneers are still minus 600 uh, on DraftKings to win the division. The Falcons in second place at plus 650, the Saints at plus 1400. So maybe a little tasty, a little couple of shekels on the on the Saints there. Um, I'm going to just because I love what Art Smith is doing and he talk about a guy that's doing more with less. Art Smith, I don't under I've never understood why Falcons fans are, are so have been so repulsed by him so far in his tenure there going seven and 10 with that team last year. And then right now being three and three with Marcus Mariota at the helm, like he is doing fantastic as a head coach so far. 
Um, I'm going to say hot, hot read just because I would love it and think it'd be hilarious. Um, and listen, as a, as a better, they're the only six and O team against the spread this year. And I, I just can't, I can't do them wrong like that. I'm going to hop on the bandwagon. Great teams cover worse right now. Great. Great Hey, good teams win. Great teams cover. And the Falcons are the greatest team in the NFL right now by that metric. So give me the Falcons to win the NFC South just for fun. Uh, last one here, hot reader, cold read. Are the Bills already unlocked to get the AFC one seed? They now hold the tiebreaker over two teams that could be in contention for that number one seed. Two teams that right now lead their divisions. And if the season was over today, they would be one of the four teams in the AFC to be that division winner and be in contention for the one seed, the Chiefs and the Titans. So they've knocked both of those guys off already. They're at five and one. Do you see them already just six weeks through the season as the lock for the one seed in the conference? No, I can't go there yet. And it comes down to the Bills schedule for me is why I'm on no. I look at it right here. They play Green Bay, who we mentioned, the Jets, who are better, the Vikings. They've got the Patriots, another one with the Jets. Miami, they've got the Bengals, another one with the Patriots. We've seen New England kind of turn this thing around here with it's true. It's kind of wild. Andre Stevenson. I don't think any of those are easy games. They've got a tough slate ahead. And uh, I think that a couple teams, Kansas City being one, the Chargers being one that haven't really been healthy and finally re- been able to really kind of find their stride. I-, I think either one of those teams could make a run here. And I don't know if the Bills are going to be as easy of a 14 win team as people might think here. They've got some tough matchups. You drop a couple of those, it gets a, it gets spicy. So, uh, no, I'm not ready to say that yet. I think that's a cold read that the Bills are already a lock for the one seed. They're my favorite, but a lock, absolutely not. Okay, so I'm with you on cold read, but I'm a lot less comfortable uh, sitting on cold read with it. I'm about two, maybe three more consecutive wins away from saying they're a lock just because listen i agree that their schedule is not nearly as advantageous as some others by the way just random very add thought the eagles who are i believe they just wrapped up their win they're going to move to six and oh against the cowboys their schedule looks like they may just like never lose a football game ever the bills is the polar opposite they've got some sneaky good opponents on there um so it won't be a cakewalk for them but i think at the end of the day it's going to be those teams the bills the chiefs probably the Titans um, and then somebody from the AFC North that will be those division winners. And with that tiebreaker, we saw last year um, at the end of the day, the Titans having the tiebreaker over the Bills and the Chiefs is part of the reason that they were able to get that one seed um, in 2021. And so I'm pretty close to saying I think that they will be that that one seed. But you never know. We saw this team struggle in the middle of the regular season last year. All right, that is Hot Read and Cold Read, and that is our show for today. Thank you guys for sticking around so much. Sam, thank you so much for joining us and giving us so much of your precious time. It is a blast having you on the show. I know everybody listening loves to have you on the show. Of course, guys, check Sam out over at A to Z Sports. He's doing fantastic work. First year in the market, and he's already making a name for himself as a local capologist and a great reporter covering the Titans. Um, you can check out all his work at, at A to Z Sports. And do you have anything big planned this week? I'm sure you'll have some articles talking about the Colts coming up. Yeah, I'm just excited to get back on the beat. We mentioned it kind of at the beginning of the show and off off, uh, rec- off the recording here, but not being around, man. It, it's been a weird week not having stuff oh, yeah. to talk about. So excited to get into a big, big week of coverage. I really do think this game 
uh, might be the one that everybody looks back on as either where the Titans won or lost to the AFC South uh, in 2022. So uh, just excited for a lot of, I'm sure, uh, great coverage uh, from the Titans and the buildup to a really big game and hopefully some returns from injury for a, a bunch of key players as well. Well, thanks to everybody for listening. Um, make sure to check out the Mike Herndon Show. Going to be back on Thursday this week. It's been fantastic. If you're not already a Broadway insider, become one, and you can get that full show. Mike, of course, one of the best doing it in the market, and his show is fantastic. Executive produced by yours truly. And then, of course, we'll be back here on the Hot Read Podcast first thing on Friday morning to preview Colts and Titans. Until then, I'm Easton Freeze. Sam, thanks so much for being here with us. This has been the Hot Read Podcast. Have a great week.